on the tee, Jack Nicklaus. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Bogeyman Golf Podcast hosted by Dave and Johnny. I'm very excited about this panel. Um, Today we're talking about course design, course designers, course architecture, and I am joined by some some very esteemed guests today. Um, We have Mr. Tom Coyne, author of A Gentleman's Game, A Course Called Ireland, and many, many more. He's the senior writer for the Golfer's Journal, he's a contributor for Golf Magazine, and others. He's written for a number of publications. We also have Ali McIntosh, course golf course architect he's um he played a role in the new nine holes at Karen golf links and is currently working with Strandhill golf club and joined also by tony deer author of the story of golf and 50 holes and he's a contributor to Linz magazine as well as others and then ken carney golf architect with an esteemed amateur playing career in his own right ken has got his hands on most golf clubs in ireland including our glass rd Corbulus, Dalgony, Glasson, Grange, and that's just to name a few. Uh, he's currently working with Malone and, well, all around the country. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. So, I think if I could, I'd love to start with a little bit of a bit of history. And um, Kenny might, might start with yourself and then just work around. And guys, feel, please feel free to jump in. Um, there's, there's no manners on the format of this. Um, I'd love to just kind of have a conversation around who are some of the early early names in golf course design. I mean, there's obviously old Tom comes out as one of the big names, but when did golf course architecture and design become not so much a career, but but a a focused feature of the game of golf? Um, I suppose history will reflect that you know the the old architects like old Tom Morris will say. Um, being the first was the professional golfer. He was the tender to the greens. He made the hickory clubs. He made the golf balls, and they started out the architects. Really, the first people who got it into a, a formatted um, methodology of building golf courses and laying them out. Um, it progressed. Then I would suppose Harry Colt might be regarded as the first quote-unquote professional golf course architect. Um, he came from a legal background and he went into golf course architecture and he brought with him Mackenzie, John Morrison and um, led led through a profession that started the, the professional uh, golf course architecture um, regime. Um, it, and that was really the move from what might be regarded as this old school penal design harsh or crude bunkers across in front of greens or landing areas and he moved it to a more strategic golf course design so Colt might be regarded as the first professional golf course architect in in and Harry Colt just you know he would be the architect to in in Ireland here we'd have Roy Portrush um, and County Sligo would be bigger ones he had some hand at Royal County Down um 
the Castle Golf Club in Dublin is a Harry is a Harry Cole golf course as well, and there are some others. Um, in in Ireland, our, our I suppose our leading light would have been Eddie Hackett. All the guys on this panel will be very familiar with Eddie Hackett, um, and Eddie really did so much for golf course architecture throughout the country from the Cairns. Um, through to the really small golf courses, nine hole courses in small provincial towns. So that's a very broad strokes reflection of the history of golf course architecture in Ireland. So, so were the likes of sort of old Tom in particular, was he kind of like a mason of the game of golf in terms of he built the hickory clubs as well as the course design? It wasn't just a case of he, he specifically looked after the agronomy of the course. Yeah, he, he did everything uh, for the golf. So he was the go-to guy, you know, for for lessons. He was obviously a player of repute. He was a major winner and um, he was designer of, laid out some of the greatest golf courses, Royal County Down. Um, obviously, he had a big input at Prestwick, had a big input at, at St. Andrews. And um, yeah, it, and, and then those guys, you know, the likes of Donald Ross, who would have been a Scottish professional and they went across the states and your guests on the panel there tom will be familiar with the impact of those guys when they went across the water i mean it really it's hard to under uh it's hard to sorry overstate the impact of donald ross i mean um the tally of courses uh that are attributed uh to ross uh it was you know in doing this book on golf in america that i'm working on you know, I found numbers anywhere from four to 600 golf courses, depending on whom you talk to, um, attributed to Donald Ross, which is, you know, considering that, you know, travel at that time isn't that easy. He's not sending his notes uh, or drawings, his email attachments, whatever, just the inconvenience mm -hmm. of work at that time to have that many courses credited to you. Now, there's among Ross scholars, there's a lot of debate about, you know, what are his real courses or what are courses where he might have just done a drawing or what are courses where he might have laid it out based on a map. And, and so that debate is where the numbers get a little fuzzy. And, you know, there's some courses like there, you know, supposedly in Florida, Florida, there are a lot of fake Rosses where he was like, he passed through the town. So they called the golf course a Donald Ross design and stuff like that. So, um, but nonetheless, uh, his contribution, um, it's, it's really extraordinary in terms of uh, quantity and obviously quality because, you know, everyone knows um, Aronimink and Pinehurst and, you know, and, and so many great golf courses. You know, when we talk about the first, it's interesting because when we say first professional um, golf architect, from an American point of view, the name that um, jumps out um, is Charles Blair McDonald. And I, so I wonder where he dates. I mean, he comes along after Colt, I guess. Um, but over here, at least he was the first person to actually call himself an architect, uh, supposedly, you know, to, to say, you know, to, and to sort of make that um, in America a profession um at least in my reading that's what i understand so uh, and he um, just to jump in there sorry yeah. he learned that from spending time in st andrews so he'd come across and he'd seen the 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 links golf and scottish golf he saw that it was better than what they had in the states at the time which was quite rudimentary 
inland Gulf, and he took that back in around 1895 uh, and started to develop uh, off the back of that and start to bring real good, top quality professional golf courses to the States, I think, you know. Yeah, I think that's when you talk about a debt that golf owes to somebody, um, Donald Ross, obviously, but, you know, C.B. McDonald in terms of saying that, you know, these courses, the way we're playing golf in America right now, it's just, it's not good enough, right? You know, like you said, because he did spend all that time in St. Andrews, um, you know, and then goes on to do national golf links and with Seth Rainer do so many more, um, really elevates golf in America, makes it, if not, you know, not maybe as good at the time, but but pretty good, pretty darn good. He was also really good at turf science as well. So, um, you know, you see golf in America getting, um, you know, our golf courses, people over here just aren't settling for just a place to hit a golf ball. So this is all around the same kind of, I think what Ross moved to the States in 1899, early 1900s. So he, he, the two of them would have been operating the same, same, same time. Would there have been, at that time competition between course designers to to come to, to courses and design or was it very much a, a fraternity from that from that perspective i i think there was there's always competition there has to be competition but you know there was a lot of work at the end of the 19th century especially in the states you have you hear a tom bendel we were talking about relatively rudimentary courses so you had these rudimentary courses that were being built very very quickly without much experience of of the links and Scottish courses and where it originated. And then Ross came over, a couple of other Scottish designers came over. As I said, MacDonald had traveled over and he'd studied in, in St. Andrews and he came back. And then some of these other uh, designers also took the trip over to the UK, learned where it originated and came back and, and brought that back. And that, that started the kind of strategic school around 1910, 1920. And I think there was a lot of camaraderie then. There might have been competitiveness, but they helped each other out very much as well. You know, you, there's so many cases of, of golf courses where the, the primary designer was talking to two or three or four of his com competitors and other designers, and they, and they helped out. Pine Valley is one with George Crump. Colt was involved in that. He traveled across there, as were others, you know. So there's, there's many cases of people helping each other out. It was, I think it was a nice way to work at the time. What what would be a, a key feature, or if you're to play a, a course, what would be a key feature for one of those designers that you would would make you stand out and go, this is a Donald Ross course, or this is a, a Pete Dye, or or an Eddie Hackett? You know, to to be perfectly honest, I've 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 spoken with so many people over the years who who always say, oh yeah, that 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 that's a Nicholas, that's a Ross, that's a Mackenzie, whatever, and. They don't really know why. I mean, there's um, you can you. I mean, there's certain things you can pinpoint. You can point to bunker shapes, bunker styles, whatever. But I've always found that um, the thing that really differentiates courses, you know, not necessarily an individual hole, say, or an individual feature. When you come off the course, when you finished it, and when you're when you're reflecting on it, you're thinking. You know, what are you thinking? I mean, what was what was the motivation of the, of the designer? Um, and with someone like Colt, I mean, Colt is um, Colt for my money was the best. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily come off a Harry Colt course and think, oh, that was so Colt. 
everything about that was so cold because he didn't try and put anything in his courses that told you that it was a cold course. Mm. Um, you know, Mackenzie's, Mackenzie's bunker shapes, bunker, you know, the flair of his, his bunkers, the size and the shapes of them. Sure, you know, you, you, could, you could look at like that, um, the, the bunker in the middle of the 10th fairway at Augusta, you know, used to be the, um, a bunker to the left of the first green at Augusta, you know, before they flipped the ninth. I mean, that sort of bunker, you know, it, it's very elaborate and it's very large. And sure, you could, you could look at that and say that's a McKenzie bunker. But, but beyond that, I mean, I really, I really think that people sort of clasp at straws when looking for things to, um, to, you know, to, to join an architect to a course. And what, what I think was, um, what I think is terribly important is, um, I, was just, I was just reading up on this yesterday, when, um, you know, before, before the turn of the century, um, you know, from the 1900s to, sorry, the 1800s to the 1900s, got in, the, in the Victorian era, the last, the last half of the 1800s, golf was, um, golf was, design was really dull. I mean, it was, it's termed Victorian and um, it kind of went hand in hand with the Industrial Revolution. I mean, everything was systematic. Um, the greens were geometric. Um, there, was a, there was a very big, um, you know, thinking about equity and, and what you deserve to get. Um, so golf courses, you know, a very, very uh, popular feature in, in Victorian courses was um, cross bunkers. Uh, Tom Dunn, who was a, a Scotsman, who laid out a lot of courses, you know, when um, in the Victorian era, he always felt that the drive should carry a bunker. He then, if it was a longer hole, then he thought that the approach shot should carry a bunker. And round about nine, you know, the, at, at the turn of the century, people had decided that this. Um, this this new this Victorian style of golf course, you know, because golf had because people had gotten tired of going out to the coast all the time. They wanted courses inland. They wanted inland courses that they were easier to access. Um, and these, but these, but the, the 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 beautiful links of the of the um, of the coast and Andrews, Presswick, Westwood Ho, Hoy Lake, Sandwich, you know, the the thing nothing had been learned. It seems that the Tom uh, Tom Dunn and the others that were building these inland courses, they hadn't learned the beauties of the Lynx courses. And it was only in, in about the 1900s, the early 1900s, when people realized that these inland courses were terrible and they needed to get back to the ideals of the, um, of the natural Lynx courses. Um, and that's when um, Willie Park, a Scotsman, he, you know, he, had, he had built some geometric, um, Victorian stuff as well but when Sunningdale his course at Sunningdale opened in 19, 1901 it had a bit of a mix between the two you know it had larger greens more rolling undulating fairways and but there was still a there's a very famous picture of the 10th hole with a, with a cross bunker um, so he, he kind of started it and his course at Huntercombe in 1901 also had a, had a great you know it was very different to the Victorian courses that, that had come before and it was round about that time, the early, the very early 1900s, the first decade of the 1900s, when golf saw a shift from these geometric, boring, symmetrical 
equitable golf courses where you got what you deserved to a more romantic strategic design where where, where designers like Harry Colt um, came to the fore. And so, so you, you can tell the great designers, I mean, you know, if you play enough of them, you, to, sorry, to answer your question, John, to, to, you know, if you play enough courses of Colt, then of course you'll, you know, you'll get an impression of what Colt courses look like. And if you play enough courses by Mackenzie, Rayner, whoever, you, you'll get an idea of, of, of their style. But really, for me, it was, um, you know, what was the motivation of the, of the designer in designing this course? Did he want you to leave knowing what he had done and knowing that this was a cult course or a Mackenzie course? Or did he just want you to enjoy the walk through a beautiful place and, um, and enjoy the features, the natural features of the, of, of the, of the site? There's always, there's always a funny build-up to, we'll say, like, take, take, take the Players' Championship. Um, the commentators, the, the TV coverage around it is always like, "Oh, it's a classic die or whatever course." So, as a, a passing golf spectator, if you were to describe it to to, to someone, what 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 would be a what are the, those broadcasters getting at when they're saying that's a classic X designer or Y designer course? Because you know, most of us would never get to play the players or the like the likes of those TPC courses. Right. And it's kind of, um, but like I said before, I think the idea that, you know, Oh, it's a classic, it's a Pete Dye, or this is a Fazio or this, that, and the other. I, I think a lot of times that is sort of said to sort of feign some sort of authority or like knowledge or just excitement about Pete Dye name everybody knows. And so like, if you press them on like, okay, well, what makes it a Pete Dye? I, mm. Like you said, it would be hard, I think for them to acknowledge or maybe to come up with um, some criteria. But when you'd say classic Pete Dye, the thing that comes to mind, what they're essentially saying is that it's hard, right? Um, that there's, um, that Pete Dye um, was not a, f people think of his courses as um, being dramatic, visually dramatic and penal. Um, and I think, yeah, if you're talking about Sawgrass, um, if you're talking about Teeth of the Dog um, and, and in the Dominican Republic, um, uh, Whistling Straits, you know, I mean, those are those are just visually extraordinary golf courses um, that you have to hit heroic, regularly ask you to hit heroic golf shots. And um, and so I guess that would be a Pete Dye calling card i mean yeah and he used he used railroad ties as well which is funny that like it was like a revelation to me playing um rural north devon um the first time and finding that they had railroad ties on the golf course and i'm thinking wow that's amazing that old tom morris borrowed from pete die um you know what a shocker and you don't realize <laughs> that you know that die is actually you know my american-centric point of view um but yeah, you're realizing that Tom Morris was using sleepers and, uh, and Pete Dye actually took that inspiration from Scotland. So, but not a lot of other designers over here are doing that. So that's another thing where they say, if, the, if you see railroad ties over here, people think Pete Dye for, for that reason, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so the, the penal aspect, I guess Nicholas courses, you can look at the greens um, and his affinity for the, I, I guess it's, you guys could probably know more than I, but the, the sort of three different sort of putting areas or levels on a, on a Nicholas green and, but 
it, it was interesting. Last week I was speaking with um, Lester George, who's an architect, and I was down at Ballyhack in Virginia, a place he designed. And we were talking about um, the difference. He'd also, he's also done a course here called Kinlock, which is, and they're both very highly rated. I think both maybe in the top 100 in America. And um, and we're talking about how different they were, right? And there's almost nothing between the two. There's nothing alike. And he said, well, if I, if when I pass, if on my tombstone, if they're able to write, you know, this was his trademark or his thumbprint, or this is what his, his design philosophy was, or this is what his golf courses was about. He, he said, I would consider myself a total failure. I don't want anyone to ever look at a golf course and say, oh, there's Lester George. And, and I think, you know, I'm sure the architects here would probably echo that sentiment in that, um, you know, great architects, the land speaks um, more clearly and more loudly um, than any, hopefully than any fingerprints they leave behind. I think a great architect should and probably does aim for that. Um, I mean, yeah, you get into McDonald and Rayner into the, into these templates, which is a very, which is a word you see a lot on Twitter, people who want to talk about how much they know about golf course architecture. And, uh, and you know, the, the templates that they borrowed from Scottish holes and brought over to America. But even still, you know, I guess you could see templates like, oh, that's a McRainer, but template, there's every golf hole's a template, you know, there's a, a team yeah. agree. <laughs> that's a template. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that that thing is a little, that gets a little out of hand. So basically what I'm saying is that that, that calling card, that idea of like, this is a such and such, um, I guess the, the irony of it is, is, is the greater the designer, I think the harder it is to see them in it. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I would say that, um, you know, mentioning their names th throughout history, there's definitely been, there's definitely been some designers that wanted you to know that they designed that course. Mm -hmm. You know, that there is, um, I, yeah, I'm not going to mention that, you know, there, there's certain aspects of a course, certain features of a course, you know, it's that designer, you know it. And just like Tom says, you know, I don't want that. When I'm playing golf, I don't want to know that. I, I just, I want to enjoy the nature, the site. I don't necessarily want to think, oh, that's a <clears throat> bunker or <clears throat> that's a whatever green. You know, it's, I'm not interested. I think, yeah, I think you have to consider, like the great thing about golf courses as compared to other sports, is every playing field is different. So it's not a consistent football field or soccer field or whatever. Every playing field is different. So if you think you've got a designer there and he designs 30 or 40 courses and you can see his uh, fingerprint all over each of those courses, then he's obviously not um, taken the individuality of the land. He's got to develop with the land and bring something different and individual to each site that he goes to. Now, of course, People have their, or architects have their favorite um, uh, go-to kind of um, things that they, they repeat. Um, but in general, if you can't change and see the nature of the land and, and bring a different design solution to that nature of the land, then, you know, I, I don't think that's a good thing either. You know, I do yeah. think the work of the land that you have. I think it'd be interesting as, uh, for, for sure if a designer came into an, an inland parkland and built something man-made like the Klondike from, <laughs> from the Hinch and put it in the middle of a, of a parkland course because obviously that just wouldn't be, wouldn't be natural. Yeah, now that's not to say that man-made and, and bold features can't work and they have worked and 
Tony and, and Tom talked about, um, you know, McDonald and, and Rayner, and they brought, you know, uh, brilliant kind of templates back from uh, Scotland and they used the natural land tea to green, but they still use these kind of geometric shapes, which are obviously man-made, but they're just very artistically done. So, you know, man-made elements can work, but you have to, to, to meld them in and blend them in with the land. You can't impose yourself as an architect or a builder onto that land uh, with something that looks incongruous and doesn't work. So then and it speaks to what Tony was saying earlier. It's, you know, with regard to the Harry Colt course, you actually mightn't be able to recognise it unless you knew him or his style intimately. And I think it's because he... Showed, showed so much restraint, really. Kind of did less and just enough. But you know when you play a good architect's golf course, whether it's a Lester George or a Harry Colt, you'll generally know it because it'll be really good and really engaging. And You, know, you might not know exactly why you love it, but you'll know you love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then for each of you individually, was there... Was was there a moment when in your own kind of golf game where you became aware of golf course design specifically, um, like in terms of getting into becoming a golf course architect and designer, or to 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 study it and and to write about it? Was there was there moments individually on each, any of these courses that made you stand up and take notice? There must have been. Well, for me, it, like. It was just intuitive. Like I, I'm sure maybe some of the others are the same. I don't know. But when I was 11 or 12, I was sketching golf courses. So there's just something wired into you at the beginning that makes you love golf courses. Not everyone that plays golf loves golf courses. Some, some, some people are into the competition or the pros or the technology or whatever, you know. But for those who do, it's kind of wired into you, I think. Uh, and for me, it was it was right there from the beginning. I was lucky enough to to grow up playing on links courses, you know. So. Um, I had that kind of um, Scottish background anyway. Uh, and yeah, obviously I learned, you, you learn, and I'm, I'm still learning, you know, you learn from golf courses you see, you learn from other architects, other people in the, in the business, you see ideas and you mature yourself. Um, and there's certain courses that you see that, that give you those ideas, but really it was there from the beginning for me. Kathleen. Yeah. Um... I spoke to Tom previously on a, on his pod, the Golfers Journal, and for me it was um, when I was playing amateur golf. Uh, like we are so fortunate in Ireland, we play our four provincial tournaments. It's pretty obvious. You play the east of Ireland on an awesome golf course, County Louth at Baltray, the north at Portrush, um, the west at County Sligo, and the south is played at Lahinch like every year. And we revisit those brilliant golf courses by brilliant architects every year. And if that doesn't stir your juices to be somewhat inquisitive. I think you're maybe dead. Golf, <laughs> golf wise, I mean, you've got to be you've got to be motivated to ask the question. Well, why did he route it that way, and why did he go that direction, and why does it do this the golf course in a certain way? So for me, it was when I started playing competitively and just started asking questions, and then I started reading, and um, that's how I got involved. Yeah, Tony. Um, I was very fortunate that you know my dad played, and every every year for the Open, um, we would go for a week to the Open, and we and we play all the courses around, you know, the the Open venue, um, the ones that were open. And so I played a lot of a lot of the great uh, Scottish courses in the you know mid late eighties, early nineties, 
Um, and I remember the first time we played the old course, um, I think it, it must, it might've been 86 or 87. Um, I knew something of the old course. I knew it was, you know, old, <laughs> not much more beyond that. Um, and I, we were actually paired with a couple of Americans on the first team. We, we didn't know what to expect because, you know, we knew nothing. Um, we actually ended up having just an absolute ball. It was so much fun. They were, they were fantastic. But, um, you know, that. What's that? We're not all bad, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> we um, seem surprised. No, there's a few of you. They're okay. Anyway, but I, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't play the course. You know, know anything about um, architecture and 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 the, you know, the ins and outs and the and the, you know, the the quirks of the old course. Um, we got. To, I remember this. I mean, this was this was, this is nearly thirty years ago. More than thirty years ago, in fact. But I remember this, like standing up on the tee like it was yesterday. I was on the on the 12th tee um, and I hit my, you know, persimmon driver and I absolutely belted it. I hit an absolute corker straight down the middle. Um, and it was probably what playing, of the tee we were playing, probably 295, 300 yards. And I thought, well, that's going to be close to the green. Even with a persimmon, we're probably downwind. Um, and I, I'm walking out the fairway, happy as Larry, you know, proudest punch I've hit this fantastic drive and I find my ball in, in the middle of the massive bunker in the middle of the fairway um, now that was a very rude awakening you know to to um, strategic architecture um, now it's not as if you know I went home that night and I read up on everything about strategic architecture I could find and it certainly didn't you know change my perspective on the game because I was you know, I was, I was looking to play the game. I mean, there was, there was a point in my late teens, early 20s, when I was, you know, I was teaching the game and I was, I was hopefully going to become a player. It, so it's not like I, I, like a lot of, like probably Ali and Ken, it's not like I immediately wanted to design courses after finding the bunker on the middle of the fairway at the 12th at St. Andrews. But I, I, I know for a fact that, you know, it, it somehow just seeped its way into my soul. I, 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 I became aware that, you know, this is, this is weird. And I, but I couldn't, I could never work it out. I could never work out for, for the next 30 years. Why, why sticking a bunker in the middle of the fairway? Not that we know who, who did it and when it was put there, but, um, I didn't know why. And I, and, and again, as I say, it's not like I ask myself that question every day, you know, why is there a bunker in the middle of the 12th fairway? But I was always subconsciously aware that, you know, that there's, there's something about designing golf courses that makes something interesting or boring or enjoyable or mundane. Um, and in thinking about that question, I, I became absolutely aware at a, at a fairly young age um, why the old course was so good, why it was so great. Um, and I think since then, I've, uh, I've, I certainly haven't looked for courses that are the same as the old course, but I've looked at courses in a, in a way that, you know, what have you, what have you learned from the old course? You know, what have you taken from the old course that gives me a similar feeling? You know, it doesn't have to be, it, it, it's not like I had to be on the 12th hole of such and such a course and there has to be a bunker in the middle of the fairway. 
Yeah, but I'm just I'm just sort of looking at courses, thinking, you know, what what is the thinking behind that feature or the way you've built that? And I think that all stems from from finding that bunker 35 years ago in the 12th area at the old course. Yeah, so I think my interest in um, in golf course architecture, <clears throat> it's it's interesting. The first architect. Um, that I got really interested in enough to do research and, and write about. And, um, you know, it comes in writing a course called Ireland, you know, it would be Eddie Hackett. And, and, and I came to, because Enniscrone was the first golf course I ever played in Ireland. Uh, Carnes, my favorite golf course in the world. And, um, but I came at it from the point of view that, you know, interested in, how he would design a golf course, but, you know, I came to appreciate Eddie Hackett more as a great story himself and just um, his, his approach, his, his willingness to um, design and create golf in places where it didn't exist, where um, maybe it shouldn't exist, but it's something to, to help communities in, in a tough time in Ireland. And, uh, you know, I just think he has a, a great story and a great approach and, and, would have loved to, to have met him, but, but didn't. So uh, that's probably the first architect um, that I actually said, okay, where I sat down and, and did research and thought about um, where I started to go down that rabbit hole a, a little bit. Then I had to go down it a lot further because I think that it's interesting how in the last, I don't know, say 20 years. Um, so I grew up on a, on a William Flynn golf course called Rolling Green. And William Flynn would be um, a really important designer over here. Shinnecock, Cherry Hills, chipped in, probably did a lot of Marion, um, chipped in at Pine Valley. I think a lot of people did that, uh, even though Crump is really the only name that gets associated with it. Uh, but in any event, if you would have said growing up um, the name William Flynn, I would have thought, okay, is that the guy I'm playing golf with today? You know, even though I'm on one of his golf courses, right? Because we're not in that moment yet where the conversation, so this is like before Golf Club Atlas. Uh, it's before Andy Johnson and the fried egg. Um, it's before, you know, the, the message boards and this new expertise where being an expert in golf course architecture is its own new pastime that sort of exists almost outside the game. And it's a good one because, you know, you don't have to worry about your score. Uh, it doesn't cost very much. You probably have to buy some old books. Um, but it's, it's been interesting to sort of watch that evolve. So as a writer and, and trying to be a voice in golf, um, I had to, frankly, you know, my coffee table now is covered with, yeah, I had to go read um, The Evangelist of Golf about McDonald. I had to read The Spirit of St. Andrews, Scotland's Gift, you know, because everyone online had read them, right? And how am I going to have any authority on this, on this subject? So you start to go more deeper and farther down that rabbit hole. Um, and it's been really good. It's helped me as a, as a, just someone who loves golf, appreciate the places that I get to play, you know, even more. Um, I appreciate having grown up on a William Flynn golf course more than I, than I did when I was a kid. I knew that it was a good golf course. So whoever built it must've known what they were doing. I'd go to other places and think, man, Rolling Green is so much better than this. Uh, so I had an awareness of like, yeah, 
there's there are places that give you a certain feeling and there are other places that leave you you know david mcclay kid says the test is like by the 14th hole are you are you at the point where you're like i'm ready for this to be over or are you disappointed it's coming to an end um rolling green was a place where i was always disappointed for it to be over so i knew it was good but uh you know i was probably inspired by all the uh other experts out there or pseudo experts or whatever which is what i would i'm would be a pseudo expert uh to learn more and um it's been a fun journey and it's it's made golf more interesting too so then for anyone that's looking to start at that journey would you have any recommended readings uh let's see Perfect. this is a great chance to, to shop, shop your own books there yeah, right. Let me let me mention everyone on the panel first, and then, uh, and then myself. But I don't know. I mean, I guess it starts with. Um, uh, what was the first book that you 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 read when you decided to to really go into this journey? Right? Uh, it would have been um, Scotland's Gift, so the McDonald's book on um, on on golf. So. That's where I started. Anything else jump out book wise that you any else of you? Well, these guys, I'm sure. What yeah. was important to Ken? I think you talked about the books, Ali. I think as Tom says, Scotland. So that there are about six or seven uh, essential books back from about the 1920s, um, of which Scotland's Gift is 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 one from the architects of the time. And they were the first, and we, we, we talked earlier, uh, Ken about Braid as well, had, had written something, but Tom Simpson, the architectural side of golf, Robert Hunter wrote a book, you know, uh, uh, George Thomas, um, he, very strategic book that he wrote as well. And I think those seven or eight books set the, the, the kind of cornerstone of people's understanding of what strategic golf became from there. So it was really the first time that people had started to write about golf architecture and, and show what an interesting subject it could be. I think in a more modern sense, you know, for someone who's approaching it, who hasn't been involved at all before, just something as simple as the World Atlas of Golf is a, is a great one, right? Because you just pick it up, it shows you what the, the best golf courses in the world are, it shows you routing maps of them, it gives you a little bit of an introduction of, of history of what strategic golf is. So for someone who's starting out afresh, you know, you can, you can do worse than start with the World Atlas and then dive deeper, dive deeper and go back into those older books of the 1920s. If you were to, to look at kind of new, newer courses today, um, would you say that there are elements from, from those courses that you can see being attributed to other specific architects from pre-past generations or, or who would have been some architects from generations a couple of years ago that or decades ago that would be influencing this current generation like who would who would you both it's probably a question for ken and ali Moore. who would you have looked to for inspiration or influence when you were starting out yeah well i suppose i'm kind of been involved i've been associated with county sligo golf club all my life and that it's a harry colt obviously yeah. golf course um and I was in, I was in that, that really started to stir with me, my juices and golf course architecture. So for me, that's the origins of it. Um, it's a, it's a Harry Colt influence for me. But, you know, I've never been fortunate enough really to work on a Harry Colt golf courses. There are some in Ireland, um, but 
that's that's my influence. Um, obviously, um, Eddie Hackett has had a great influence on golf throughout the country. And you go to his golf courses, you can pick most counties, I think, in Ireland have the Harry Cole golf course, certainly in Southern Ireland. And it's, some people might call it mundane golf. I call it economical golf. He built brilliant golf courses on tiny budgets, uh, gave great enjoyment to so many people in small communities. Um, so it's, the legacy isn't always like, you know, the flashiest or the biggest or the most expensive. It's, you know, the impact it's had on, on small communities like Carn or, you know, whether it's at Connemara or whether it's at Canchibale. They're small provincial towns really that have benefited from the impact of somebody like Eddie Hackett. So Eddie Hackett has maybe not influenced me, but I've got like so much respect for, for what he did. But from a golf course architecture, purely point of view, it's Harry Code for me. I was actually playing Donegal Golf Club there last week, originally an Eddie Hackett design. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but it, it beat the living daylights out of me. So it's long and hard, isn't it? It's a big golf course. Yeah, it was it was it was windy as well. Which, coming from a Parkland background, I I play I don't play nearly enough links golf as I should as as an Irishman. Um, it, it I played that in Narn last week and Narn and Port New just got the first few holes redesigned. Lovely lovely course. I thought that was spectacular, but I thought Donegal just beat me up, which I had a lot a lot more respect for. Ken says it is a it's a big course. It's on a big site and on a big scale, you know. So uh, it can certainly be you. Yeah, I th- I enjoyed it though. I thought for 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 me, um, when I I guess I became more aware of golf course design or sort of structure for it. When um, it can kind of be encapsulated in in one hole, which is my personal experience of the tenth hole at Mount Juliet, where I where I was lucky enough to to learn learn my golf was. There's as you drive the fairway narrows and there's a, a big bunker on the left and there's trees and rough on the right. But as a kid, I was never really able to to reach that bunker. So the strategy was always hit it as far as I can, and then you've a second choice was either go left and long around trees, or short and right and play over bunkers. And I always went short and short and right because to go long and left would bring in. At that point, I wasn't I wasn't hitting that far at all as a kid. It'd bring in easily two shots rather than than a, a longer one. But as I got older, this strategy like I got stronger and I could play more. But then the bigger bunker became came more into play. So you, the the way that I approached the hole or would would play the hole, no matter how my golf game improved, the course was always there to answer me, which I I found was a, a great moment for me. I play it every week and. I, I come to come back up to that that bunker every week, not knowing whether it's bounced in or or bounced right and landed in the middle of the fairway. But that's for me the the moment where I I became aware of a golf course design that no matter how I move, improve, disimprove, whatever the course will always have a very fair answer for me, which uh, I think is a, is a good a good indictment of. Of, of golf courses and golf courses designers, which I think brings us to the last segment of this conversation, if that's all right, which is definitely the most unfair question that I, can, I think I could ask this panel, which is if you had to pick one, who would be the greatest 
and why? Might might go around. We'll start with Tom because yes, you got a little less skin skin in the game than than Ken and Ali. Uh if you had to say one, um I mean I've thrown out a couple names that like where I'd have a personal bias, um, where I would it's hard not to say Eddie Hackett because I think um honestly playing Enniscrone and and Karn personally sort of changed the trajectory of, of, of my career as as a as a writer. Um and made me love and appreciate Lynx golf as, as an American who'd never seen it before. And um, just, yeah, that, it, it, was, it, was, it was important um, in my life uh, playing Eddie Hackett golf courses. So um, it's, hard, it's hard not to, if I had to pick one, that would be the most, descent, like we said, okay, I couldn't do without so-and-so's golf courses. Um, yeah, I guess I'd say Eddie Hackett. But again, I love William Flynn. Hmm. Do I get I'm one European, one American? <laughs> I'm afraid not. We'll keep keep it keep just just the one. All right, Eddie Hackett. Eddie Hackett. So what was it? So you were saying that like you played those courses and they they changed your life. What well, was they it did about? because it it changed. You know, I thought I understood what golf was, right? And um and had a very clear notion about it and what I loved about it and and then you know I go to four I'm 14 years old and we go and play um Enniscrone and this is before you know any of the changes had been made and where the first five holes were still rather plain and then you worked your way into the dunes um and it just opening my eyes that there was this whole other almost like another sport out there called Lynx golf and um and that's the sport that I really um just fell in love with because of the way, not, you know, the, the way it just captured my imagination, um, the way that it just felt, um, dare I say, even almost spiritual. Because when you're playing Lynxland, you're playing, you know, ancient, ancient, uh, so, not all the soil in Ireland isn't ancient, but I mean, this stuff is like formed by millions of years of like geological um, phenomena. And, um, and the fact that Hackett really doesn't, manipulate any of it you know didn't use bulldozers or anything so that you get to actually just experience um nature in a way that it's sort of like okay god if that's what you believe in created this playing ground that is ideally suited to this game that i so love right Hmm. that's a miracle and it just makes you feel so fortunate as a golfer and so it just was almost like one of those like moments, those uh, higher moments of like awareness that, uh, that really, um, I think if I just played Parkland golf my whole life, I don't think I'd be chase, still be chasing a golf ball at, at my age for my living is basically, I think what it boils down to. Tony, I have posed the ultimatum to everyone. If you had to pick who is the greatest course architect and why, um tom has given us his is eddie hackett so tony if you had to uh if you had to pick one yeah sorry about that i my my dog woke up and started making noises so i had to <laughs> turn them out um i knew you were going to ask this so i gave it some thought can i give you four you can start with four <laughs> for sure hey, i only got one. Oh, <laughs> he, he, he will have to pick one okay, but you can I start with four down to one at the end 
Um, but in giving you four, obviously that, that's getting to the point now where I'm thinking, well, okay, who am I leaving out? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna upset some people, but whatever. I'm gonna give you four. Um, firstly, um, James Braid because he designed my favorite course in the world, St. Anna Dark in Cornwall. Um, and to be honest, you know, beyond um, playing St. Anna Dark, I hadn't read or learned much about Braid until recently when I, when I wrote something about him. And I really, because of, you know, my connection with St. Anna Dark, I was really interested to read up a lot on him. Um, and, he certainly wasn't the greatest architect of all time. I mean, he 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 um he seemed to mix elements um, from the old geometric and and sort of more mundane golf with some great great stuff. Um, he certainly built some great courses, um, but because he built my favourite course in the world, I'm going to name him. Um, in America, well, I say in America, um, he's Scottish, but David Kidd, um, partly because, I mean, him and I, we, we've actually become quite good friends. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm but m far more than that, far more importantly than that, he's brilliant. He, he is absolutely brilliant. Um, and when, when you consider to, to get the job, you know, in, in his mid-20s, to get the job at a place called Bannon Dunes or, you know, which had no one knew about and it was totally off the beaten path and and um it was never going to work but thanks to the um you know the determination the money <laughs> of mike kaiser and the and the talent i mean the just the brilliance of, of david kidd and the guys that he worked with um jim haley um i'm sorry i'm forgetting the other name um they built a brilliant, brilliant golf course, and that has given rise. The brilliance of Bannon Dunes has, you know, given rise to what I think is now the greatest golf resort, greatest collect, apart from maybe St Andrews, Pinehurst. You know, Bannon Dunes is absolutely the greatest collection, concentration of golf in the world. Uh, Melbourne Soundbelt as well, of course. Um, and Kid kind of started that, um, and his career has obviously gone. You know, from strength to strength since then, and some some really really fantastic courses um, since then. My favourite of which is Gamble Sands, which is actually unfortunate. I'm only about three hours from it in Washington State here, um, and I love that course. One, you know, firstly because it, it's just an amazing place overlooking the Columbia River, um, and it's built on sand. But also, um, I actually. I actually named it that that Gamble Sands that that was actually my idea. So so the place has a spiritual connection with me. I, I love it, and and I just every every kid course that I've played Huntsman Springs, Gamble Sands, Mammoth Dunes, Bannon Dunes. It's brilliant. I have so much fun playing those golf courses, and I and I really I really um, wonder if you love golf, if you think you love golf, and you play a David kid. kid uh, kid course, sorry, and come off it and didn't have the greatest day of your life or, you know, the most fun you've ever had playing golf, then something's wrong because they're just the most fun golf courses. Um, in addition to Kid in America, I think Tom Doak is, will go down as, as one of the, um, the all-time greats. So his, his, 
I mean, he gave rise to, you know, what became known as minimalism, which is, and, you know, and I suppose in a sense, we, you know, we, I'm loath to call it the, the second golden age, but that's pretty much what it amounts to. And Doak, you know, when he built his first course at High Point in Michigan in, in 93, I think it was, you know, that was kind of the start of it. You know, he, he, he'd, um, he took a, a site and, and didn't change it, you know, didn't move hundreds of thousands of cubic meters of, um, of earth, just, you know, let the features, let the natural features tell the story. And, and that gave rise, you know, to, I don't know if it gave rise to Corn and Crenshaw, but, you know, that was kind of the, um, the, uh, the stimulus, if you will, if you will, um, you know, Corn and Crenshaw, Bill Core would be another one, of course. Um, just take a, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to take a, a really bland, flat, boring site and build a great golf course. I'm, I'm sure they could, but you know, they're, they're going to choose their sites wisely. Um, but when they've chosen their site, they're going to make the absolute most of it. They're not going to change it. They're not going to uh, move this, that, and the other, you know, to, to make the course look like they built it. They're gonna they're gonna make a, a a brilliant golf course from a great site, and they're they're the best in the world at that. So, so to go back to the original question, um, Doak, Kid, and Braid, but cult. Yeah, the, the answer is cult because um because <laughs> he um he as I said earlier, you know he he, he made so many great great courses i mean truly great courses but you don't necessarily come off them thinking oh that was a goal that was a cult that was a great cult another great work from cult he just built brilliant courses that the site gave him you know he, he, he natural courses fun courses strategic golf courses you just you, you can't really fail to have a good time on a cult course and he was so consistent tony he never failed Colt. Right. If you get Colt's worst course, you know, he's probably the he's probably got the best worst course out there. You know, all mm -hmm. of his courses were just very, very good time and time again. So yeah. then Ali, would you who would you go for? And I appreciate that this is unfair to ask on both you and Ken. Well well not not really. I mean you take inspiration from everyone. I think as a to go on from then what Tony was saying on Colt, you know, he was such a consistent architect. And he was so elegant. I think all of his designs are elegant. I would say Port Rush in Ireland is, is possibly the most elegant course in the country. The green complexes are the most beautiful, I think, you know. Um, so Colt uh, is, is definitely up there, you know. Um, I think throwing a few other names out, George Thomas, I men mentioned earlier, he, in the States, he didn't design that many golf courses. But he had a real, really good eye for strategy. If you take a course like um, Riviera, you know, it's not on the most spectacular site. Um, it does have a, a, a kind of ravine, a barranca going through it, but it's a relatively flat uh, plain, low plain. But the way he bunkered that course, it just brings individuality and strategy to every hole. So I think he, and also beauty in his bunkers, we talked about Mackenzie being beautiful, but he, he, he built very beautiful um, bunkers with his construction partner Billy Bell. So that's George Thomas. My my favourite architect from back in the day was a fellow called Tom Simpson. So Tom would have been an eccentric Englishman. He used to 
drive his Rolls Royce up onto the land and kind of survey it from afar. Um, you know, he had a chauffeur drive him up there. Um, he was just a, an eccentric. He was a great artist as well. Um, his design style uh, was very bold and fun. He used deception. He almost tried to trick the golfer in a, in a sporting way. Um, in Ireland, you would know his work because he, he did amend Bally Bunyan. He did do some work at Carlo. But really, you can put Baltray, County Lowell, the, the excellence of that course down to him. And the subtleties in there that he used, some just small mounds to get you thinking that you have to come into the green from a different side. You know, 14th, I know Ken loves the short par four, 14th is, is one of the great uh, short par fours as well. So Tom Simpson would be my, my favourite architect. So you could say that he inspired me. But probably I had to pick one, I'd go back to Mackenzie. Um, because I think Mackenzie, he uses background in camouflage uh, through the Boer War and stuff, and he really started to, to use the natural landscape beautifully um, by using that. And, and he understood the scale of the bunkers we talked about earlier. He built beautiful green complexes. He rooted really, really well, and he got the scale of his golf courses correct. So. I think if I, they're all beautiful. If I had to pick um, one, it would be Mackenzie. I, I mean, Tony, there's plenty of modern architects I take inspiration from as well, but yeah. I look back to Mackenzie most of all, I think. Uh, Ken? Yeah, for me, it's, um, it's tough because I have such regard for what Eddie Hackett did. Um, massive impact, obviously, here in Ireland. Um, but if I was to pick one architect, it would be Harry Colt as well. Um, probably his consistency, his his restraint in not trying to do too much. That's what I always admire. When when you see some of his golf holes, the way they lie on the land, you you say, well, he could could have done this and maybe could have done that, but everything sits elegantly as as Avi said. He elegant golf courses, um, always got the scale correct as well. Never everything looks like it's in scale. Um, you know the greens are correct sizes in relation to the bunker, in relation to the landscape, and um, but thoughtful is the word that comes to mind. You you know you got to think strategically to play Harry if you want to play it correctly and play it really well. There's usually a better way to play it than just slashing it about the place. Um, the Harry Colt will make you think your way around that golf course. So for me, it's Harry Colt. That's that's very fair. They're great answers. Thank you all for 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 going through that. I'm sure that was not was not an easy decision to have to make any of you come to. Um, I think we we might leave it there. I know I no doubt we'll have a thousand questions, and if I had my way, I probably could go on for a few hours. But I don't want to take up any more time of your day. But um, no doubt I will be in touch with with you all individually or collectively again if you would have us. Um, thank you very much, guys, for for coming on the podcast, and we hope to talk to you all soon. Thanks, Great, Johnny. Thanks, Johnny. Johnny. Thanks for having us. See you guys. Johnny, that was that was probably the most interesting kind of conversation, golf conversation of an area that I know absolutely nothing about whatsoever. Like to hear, I suppose that level of what, what surprised me one was one the the guy's knowledge of of golf courses and their ability to. 
um, remember holes in specific courses and times of shots mm. they've played on, on specific courses, but also the actual history. Like we're talking back to 1890s there at one point, and I was like, how, how on earth? It's a real um, passion piece for, for a lot of people, and, and I can see why. Yeah, I, I, was, I knew I was instantly at my depth when I put the panel together on paper. I was like, oh, Jesus, I, I know nothing about this. But which, that was the whole point of the panel was yeah. educate me was the, the theme of the day. Um, but I definitely came out of it looking to... I'm going to have another listen back to it to get the names of the books that, that Ali and, and Tom and the guys all recommended because well, like now I'm just going to... I'm going to have to read them because they're, they made it sound so interesting. Well, I'm going straight for Tom's books anyway now after after that because I suppose Tom Tom's affinity with obviously affinity with probably more domestic as well domestic golf in Ireland I, I think it's probably and normal club golf in terms of what he does in terms of the courses he goes to and the redesigns he does and his contacts and his own even playing career um, he'd be such a well known character but. Um, from what we've from what tom was talking about like he like he did the two trips of a lifetime between uh, a course called Ireland and a course called scotland and the 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 level of passion he has for the likes of karen for specific reasons and i love the fact that he was like when when the guys were debating over specific features of a specific designer what what they what, what they eventually told us was there's no specific features of specific of the best designers because they're the ones that go into a place and make something completely unique bespoke to the area as opposed mm. to they have to have this type of feature within a course and like what i loved about that was um the the comment tom made around donald ross um it was great that um old tom borrowed railway sleepers on a course from donald ross even roughly <laughs> 60 years between them. and i thought that was a great line because it, it it kind of goes to show that that's not a feature of a donald ross course because it's been used before but he felt that it yet to be used there pat ruddy used it down in in the yeah. European club, which one of them nearly took my eye out one day, I have to tell you. But it, uh, yeah, that that part was was very was very funny, and and their ability to make that conversation interesting, a lot more interesting than I would have been able to. I, I couldn't have added anything to that, to be honest. Oh, don't say that. I, no, I'm you, serious. I, I just I don't know. I see. I just don't know enough about it. Like I don't know the, their his their level of history, their their ability to recite like recite holes on courses i'm terrible for remembering what hole is on what course and they're mm. talking about specific hole when i think ali was talking about specific hole in st andrews when he was i don't know, I don't know 12 or 13 that he hit it into a bunker and i was like god i can't remember what i had last week i i really like the way they brought it all back to kind of like the spirituality of yes. how you felt after playing the course rather than like oh they used the like the bunker placement or tree placement was really good or the the way you had to attack the greens with X type of designer, like no, there was none of that, which no. I think if you watch a lot of like golf broadcasts, you hear people say, Oh, this is, this course is a classic X designer or Y designer course. Mm -hmm. And like you, you get a lot of people wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. And like Tom Coyne's answer to that was, you know, basically the answer is like, it's just hard. And however the course makes you feel regardless of that that's that's the personality or that's the, the character trait of that designer is 
do you, did you have fun playing off yes cool that's that's fine that's good enough for for me like and, and they make the course as hard as like uh, i suppose as hard, as hard, I, as, again, I, as, hard as you make it yeah exactly because i i brought that back when you're talking about um the the piece around tpc sawgrass for example obviously pete dye went in and to develop this stadium course which was going to be a the, one of the first stadium courses in terms of this is going to be built for pro events at the highest level to bring tens of hundreds of thousands of people in over the course of four days and it's going to be natural amphitheaters everywhere and i remember that one of the comments that was said after when that course opened is because they bought that they, they bought that piece of land for a dollar at the pga tour back in the day and this is probably my only golf course inside. In and when the pros played it first, they basically came back and said, "Well, you ruined a perfectly good swamp," because they hated it because it was too hard. And it was like all of a sudden, there's a classic Pete Dye course, just very hard, and a stadium course. It's like no, it's not at all because he's designed tens of hundreds of courses um, since that, and and in various different places that that aren't TPC Sawgrass. But I thought that was I thought that was funny and or sorry brought up brought that point back to what you were saying is do you enjoy it is it fit for purpose and if so then it's it's a very well designed golf course yeah i think it's definitely opened a lot more avenues it's a good introduction to course oh, design and course architecture scratch the surface now i have to tell you yeah thankfully all the all the guys said that they'd be happy to come on and talk to us individually or even as a collective i think if we started making that a panel a recurring theme that's, that's not a bad panel to have on. Yeah, solved. like it might be, it would be because there's there's so many um, there's so many courses out there where people haven't heard enough haven't heard enough about as to as to design who designed them and what and why they're so good. It's like some courses are great because they're on a beautiful piece of land. Are the holes necessarily like brilliantly designed, or did they just fit? figure out a routing that that really worked uh, like i i think of a i think of a couple of courses like would the old head be as um be as impressive if it was on a on a normal piece of lynx land for example or mm. um like arnold palmer's comment comments about um around tralee he designed the first nine and god designed the back nine because he had this beautiful piece of land and i suppose therein lies the quality of a great designer that they can go to that place and take full advantage of of what they have laid out in front of them like it'd be terrible if they went to those places and made a complete like excuse my crudeness but made a complete balls of it like mm. yeah i think the best the best thing that i took from it was that you know a good golf course uses what's in front of it and yeah yeah that was there, it there are I mean, cases when you can put it, something like, there are yeah. cases when you can put something manufactured in there but more often than not if it's not there, don't put it there. Yeah, if it's it's not if if it's not meant to suit the air the area or or the shot or the 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 lie of the land, like I suppose there are there are courses which can take a piece of land and with enough money they can they they can turn it into something spectacular, but based on something that was there already. And the one that comes to mind there now is the Dare, for example, and in what they have done with their. Um, with their redesign with, with Tom Fazio, but now that's, that's a money is no object type piece yeah. in terms of, I think the most interesting thing we heard about there was that between there and the Ryder cup, the actual course is going to be raised by about four inches um, in terms of the, what they're going to do from a design perspective. So that, that, 
that that in itself but that goes back to brilliant design robert trent jones designed course previously and they're that uses the river so well but um yeah i like johnny i i my uh, hat's off to you for that one because that was that was all you and that that chat and it was it was very well very well navigated i have to tell you no i don't know about that well take credit just take the credit okay thanks very much yeah uh, listen guys we will we will leave it there for today um, we've got a lot of good guests coming up in the next few weeks the golf season 2020 2021 season is just about to begin the the downtime the the pre-season was huge it was a full four days we haven't even spoken about the fact that dj is undoubtedly the greatest player in the world at the moment we will have to talk about that at some point um rory obviously had his had his daughter poppy um and there's loads more. Xander Schauffele is always in there. He, like, he's going to be someone that you're going to have to always put a fiver on to to win a, a major over the next six majors. I think he needs to do it. He needs to do it. Yeah, he needs to do it. Anyway, thank you very much, guys, for listening, and uh, we will see you in the next one. On the tee, Jack Nicklaus. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory.